Welcome back to the Electrify podcast, brought to you by the creators of Electrify Expo, North America's largest EV festival coming to a major city near you. All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Electrify News podcast. I'm just going <laughs> to run with this one here. <laughs> that was a great. You didn't even count it down. It was like, all right, everyone. There's no counting back. it in. We've been recording for like a minute and a half, and we still haven't gotten the intro out. So I figured I'd launch. I'd yeah, launch I, this one today. I appreciate it. I was getting nervous. So. <laughs> some point we have to say something it's uh it's a zany week man i mean i think that we we really can't do this episode of the podcast without talking about two things the first obviously is electrify expo which is happening in miami next week uh that's going to be a lot of fun we're going to have watercraft we're going to have cars we're going to have bikes we're going to have motorcycles and everything is going to be there uh not only for the public to see but also ride drive and experience firsthand but uh on the other side of the state we seem to be having some issues. <laughs> uh, yes, some some guy named Ian is is moving in, and he doesn't want to pay rent. I mean, I I mean, I'm sure everybody in Florida has been watching this closely. And again, by the time we publish and air this, you know, we will know how things have gone. But uh, yeah, it's you know, obviously, want to make sure everybody in Florida is safe, and hopefully, everybody walks away from what happens with Ian safely. Uh, but Fort Myers, Tampa area, um, obviously, we certainly there were people that were planning on attending our event you know, in Miami that were, that live there. So I uh, hope everything's well with that. But yeah, it's, this is just an example of, you know, like what's happening. I mean, that, that storm intensified so fast and the models oh, they yeah. put together, the, the models they put together on it made it very clear. And so the, Hey, science, but it's very evident of, you know, these storms can go from something that doesn't even look like a hurricane to something being very severe in a matter of, you know, 24 hours. And it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Well, it speaks to, you know, they were talking about how Tampa hadn't had a major hurricane in over 100 years. Yeah. And, it you know, they were talking about the predicted storm maps with global warming and the weakening of the Gulf Stream pulling hurricanes further east, where, you know, all of these storms that traditionally would hit between Houston and New Orleans are now going to start moving up the west coast of Florida. And mm -hmm. this is really the first one of those that we've seen, but we have been able to see it with smaller storms. And also with the storms that traditionally would have hit Florida going up into the New York and, and even Canadian waters. Oh, so yeah. um, it, it's getting there. So, I mean, there, there's definitely a reason, uh, you know, in addition to being faster, better, more, you know, better acceleration, more fun, quieter, more smooth and comfortable to ride in. There is a genuine, you know, climate reason why we are pushing electrification the way that we are. It, it, we, we can't allow this to continue. No, yeah, and, again, and by we, it's like, what is the we? Well, it's for a long time, it's been advocates. For a long time, it's been uh, owners. For a long time, it's been small companies. Um, but now we've got, you know, U.S. government behind it. And there's events like, you know, again, like Fi Expo that are making it easier for people to engage with the products. There's a lot that goes into it. There's no perfect answer for how energy is either created or consumed when it comes to transportation. Um, but I think the evidence, Florida being a good example, is you can have, again, it's the sunshine state. What does the sunshine do? If you got solar panels, man, you can fill up your car. You can power your home with it in case you know something like a storm hits. So there's a lot to consider around that. And um, again, it's just it's the timing of this is is interesting. But again, it speaks to a bigger picture question, a bigger picture answer around what are we doing with electrification? And and well, it's related to climate change and making sure that we can ensure these things don't get worse. Uh, by exactly, you know, and that's and and how do we go about that? And obviously, having a cleaner mode of transportation that's electrified is one of those things. So, you know, and it's interesting too because we've been talking over the last couple of weeks about the grid and reinforcing the grid with B two G technology. 
up in Maryland, uh, there's a company called Highland Electric that's been working with the school systems to put electric buses into service. And one of the things that they've been talking about, Duncan McIntyre is a really sharp guy who runs that company. He's been talking about, you know, you have these massive batteries that have relatively low mile workloads and they sit parked and idled most of the time. And those can be put into the grid with V to G technology and actually work as a battery backup and support the grid. Mm -hmm. And they, it's funny, you know, it's well-timed, I guess, um, you know, with this hurricane hitting and people questioning the, the Florida power grid, whether or not FPL is going to be able to keep power at all these homes, you know, this school district is now at the same time, put out a press release this morning that says, Hey, we are doing it. We are providing energy back to the grid from our idle school buses while they sit here all weekend long. And, you know, during the day while kids are in school and they're not running. (laughs) And, you know, we saw that with the Texas ice storms in 2021, people who had that Ford with the Prode Power onboard generator, that Ford hybrid, and Mm -hmm. now with the Ford Lightning, you know, if the worst happens and they do lose power, those Ford Lightning pickup batteries, they can power a home with the refrigerator and everything else for several days. Yeah, That's going to ensure that fewer people eat, you know, bad food, expired food that have illness from that. Well, they have warmth. They they can have air conditioning. I mean, all those lights. I mean, yeah. is not a problem. That's fair. That's true. Actually, we're talking Florida, yeah. So they, they want to have the AC, though. Yeah, they want to have the AC exactly. You don't want to be. You know, it gets humid after a hurricane. You don't want to have to live through that, right? No, but I, but these are the the V to G discussion and and how I mean the the, the size of the batteries in 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 electric vehicles, especially if we're talking buses and things that are oh, yeah. fleet oriented. And if we know that hey, these things are moving during the day, but at night they're just kind of hanging out and waiting. It turns into the real opportunity to have some really smart, you know, energy storage backup for the grid. And it's a lot of what I mean, again, companies like Tesla really kind of brought this mainstream with their, you know, power wall for home or power packs for major installations for utility backup. But the vehicles that are going to that we know from a use case perspective will offer people the opportunity to say, yeah, but we've we can just leverage this while it's hanging out at night. It's it's I think it's an easier conversation to have this with fleet operators for buses and trucks and medium and heavy duty vehicles because of how their normal use cases are for those vehicles, as opposed to how fast do we jump into that for light duty vehicles, the consumer zone, because those vehicles are moving constantly in ways that we don't have a standardization around, you know, when they're sitting. So we can assume they're in the garage at night, but sometimes it might not be for some reason. So I think there is huge opportunity there for how the utility and the grid integrates with these companies that are building out these fleets of large you know, EV vehicles or electric, I mean, not large EV vehicles, large EVs that have large batteries because it's just begging to be leveraged. So I, you know, I, while we were talking just now, I, I did a little search. You remember last week, we were talking about the new Nikola Trey BEV that they were putting out in Europe. Mm-hmm. And I did a quick search and it has a 740 kilowatt hour battery in its right. largest that's, capacity. That's seven times the size of a, of a Tesla or an e-tron. But critically, it's more than the average U.S. home uses in a month. Oh, yeah. So, like, if you yeah. had one of these, you know, in, a, in an electric RV, for example, that was parked in your driveway and you had a major storm come out that had, you know, like, after Hurricane Andrew in 92, we didn't have power at our home for three or four weeks. Yeah. And, you know, it, we never would have known. We just plugged into the RV and it would have been fine. <laughs> Well, again, at the end of the day, we, they're, they're, you always have to remember is if those batteries are that big, you still have to fill them up, right? I mean, are you doing that with oh, the grid sure. or solar, how that works? So, but but depending on how you use it, yeah, an RV is a good example. I mean, if you have an electric RV with a massive battery in it, when are you using that RV? Well, 
couple weeks out of the year, maybe a month, you know, for, for those who own them, unless you're a real road warrior with one. But if it's sure. just hanging out by the side of your house, you could trickle charge that over a period of a month or two and just have this massive battery backup hanging yeah. out. So these are things that, again, it gets back to, to again, uh, public education and outreach and helping them understand like where the opportunities are with these products. Now, some of them aren't on market just yet, but it speaks to an example of where things are going. So Exactly right. So now speaking of public education and outreach, you know, we often talk about how people, the first the experience they have to EVs, sometimes is at an event like Electrify Expo, where you know, they get to meet guys like us who do talk about this stuff all the time. Yeah. And other times, especially now more recently, it's when they rent a car and they rent that electric vehicle for the first time. Yep. This past week, Hertz announced with BP, obviously BP for British Petroleum, that they are going to build out a nationwide U.S. charging network. And the theory, how it ultimately looks, is going to be you know TBD. But the idea being that you have an electric rental from Hertz, you know that you can take it to a BP station, plug in and charge it, and it's right. not going to be an issue. Um, and I think something like that, where you just tell people, look, you're renting this car, take it to BP. You're familiar with BP. Even if you're not a customer, you're, you buy Shell, you buy Chevron or whatever. Right. You're an internal combustion guy. You understand what BP is. You know where they are. You're probably already understanding the concept of pulling into it. You know. And yeah. the other thing, they've got 100-foot-tall light-up neon signs that you can see from miles away on the highway. Right. Well, again, it speaks to fuel visibility. And that's where people have been exactly asking right. for a long time of like, when are the gas stations going to get involved with this and have charging? And I've always been an advocate for saying, I don't think it makes sense until the fill up time you have with a charging station can compete with or be close with the fill up time with gasoline. Because if you really look at what, like, what's at a gas station? It is a convenience store. They've got a bathroom, could be clean, could be dirty. They've got some hostess, hostess donuts you know, and a, an old hot dog. I mean, it's not the best experience you need to hang out for, you know, 30, 40 minutes. Um, sure. But, but at the same time, you go get your movie snacks, you put on Netflix, you watch an episode of, uh, right. you know, Daniel Tiger or whatever people watch on, uh, you know, people with, <laughs> whatever people without three kids watch. On I was going to say, I've been watching the Dahmer series on Netflix. That's eye opening. But I mean, but no, but <laughs> how is that? I've been watching the Sons of Sam. It's, really it's, it's interesting because it's 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 all about the suspense of it, right? It's not yeah. they're not showing you anything of the happen. It's suspense the suspense of each moment, and it's definitely eerie. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> would you call it snackable content? Oh dear, here we go. Here oh, we go. that was a joke because Jeffrey Dahmer ate people. Yes, that's for those. Actually, I guess that's true. We're at that like place in life now where it's been long enough. People want to be like, who are they talking about? But <laughs> it's been um, long enough. Yeah. But that, all that said, back to the what were we talking about? Oh yeah, BP and Hertz. Um, <laughs> I think that what they're what they're proposing is great, and I think yeah. it, you know to create simplicity around how they do it. Um, I mean, I've rented electric cars through Hertz. Um, if you get a Tesla through them, it's the Tesla experience. If you get a Polestar with them currently, it's simply not. You have to still understand how you how to know where you go and charge. Yeah. There are not BP stations everywhere across the US where Hertz is, obviously. So they would have to figure out how to, you know, I mean, building this out fast is important. I mean, it's it's taken Tesla as an example to do, you know, nationwide coverage and and continent-wide coverage in a you know for a decade. And they've invested yeah. a lot of time, effort, and energy in that. Now, BP's got the dollars. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> they could do it. So I think that's going to be, again, another great example of a new infrastructure piece that's being thought of and how it will benefit people that are new to EVs. And I think it's a smart thing. 
Yeah, exactly right. And I just want to point out that it was back in January, um, and we talked about this in an earlier episode. I think it was it was either you and me or you and Chris. Um, that BP found that their electric charging stations that they had been putting at their gas stations, that each electric charging station was actually more profitable for them overall than the gas station. So it it makes from a business point of view, as soon as they see that they're going to go, Oh, we need dollars in dollars and cents. You know, I, what, what I think will be interesting to see is, is the rollout plan. I mean, reading, reading through the press release, there wasn't really discussion of timing of how soon, where, and how fast, uh, with respect to the, how they're going to get these installed. So, right. We, we did send out, um, through electrify, electrifynews.com. That's what <clears> this <throat> podcast is all about guys. <clears throat> uh, we did send out, um, some, we did send out a request to BP pulse to try to get some kind of response. The number that we got back was a hundred thousand locations globally by 2030. That seems written strangely. I think that's probably plugs globally not locations i was gonna say i, don't know if, I yeah. can't imagine there's a hundred thousand bps on earth that's mm, no that's probably a hundred thousand chargers hundred thousand chargers yeah yeah exactly. if it was a hundred thousand stations like I, the way i always look at it is if you're talking about a charging station it is the charging station the charger and then the connector or plug right so i would plug. say a hundred thousand connectors yeah connectors or and depending on if there's dual connector on the charger what you know whatever hardware they're using so yeah but it either way great number uh, it's great eight number. years, it's eight years away. So that gives you a sense of great announcement, but if you're running a, an EV from Hertz in the next two to three years, there still has to be some better answers around that. Yeah, but it's nice to know that when Uber finally forces you to buy an EV so that you can, you know, collect your, uh, script payments, <laughs> right. finally you can plug it in. And but Hey, we've got VP in the mix. Now we've got shell, obviously they, with it, they've been in the mix now for a while. So we're seeing that traditional fueling brand get involved. And I think, well, you know, that's going to help for exposure. Yeah, exactly right. So we're starting to see legacy brands, not only legacy automotive brands, but like vehicles that have, or brands that have been tied to internal combustion and the legacy of the automobile yeah. getting into this play. And another kind of name that gets thrown out when you talk about the history of the automobile is Detroit, which is not really a brand per se, but it's hey, Detroit Electric was a brand. I mean, I, I like, like, Oh, Detroit Electric was a brand for sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you've got the, uh, you know, the Shinola wristwatches and stuff like that. There, Ooh, was, there was like a 2012 to like 2015 where like Detroit had like a really hot moment. Yeah. I don't know if it's still there, but GM has committed to, uh, building their next EV in Detroit, which is, I think the first new assembly location. That's the old AMC building, yeah. which, you know, has been just, derelict for decades so i think that's really exciting if you're if you're a detroit fan if you're like a a fan of the old motor city kind of mythology you've got to be excited about this well what again what it proves is you know gm as a as a corporation they are married to that city i mean they've got i mean they've had offices for cadillac in new york and their places obviously but they are i mean they are not ever going to find themselves away from that city. And I think it's, it's an important aspect of where the future of that brand is, but what also provides the future of the city. And there's been a question mark around that for a long time. Um, I mean, even Ford right now, Ford has been stating clearly that because of their plans for EV development, they're actually having to rethink their workforce and potentially making cuts for those investments. Now it's, it's a short term issue for them from a, from a workforce perspective, but with the intent that when they get it up and running, it provides new opportunities. So we're in that again, transitional phase. For GM to make this announcement and this investment, it further proves that 
they are they are again let's get back to old marketing from chevy they are the heartbeat of america right oh um, nice boom, very nice but i credit to them for saying this this is our home this is and we are the heart of this area and this city in various ways and and they're investing into it and i think it's important to to have that conversation because now how fast it comes to market that's always a question mark there's a there's a mountain of PR related to EV announcements every single day, it seems anymore. Um, but ones that relate back to product development and jobs and true in, like transition into what is innovating in the in the like in the automobile space by these legacy brands. I think that's great news. So I do want to say if there's one more topic that we should cover. Okay, hit me. It it, uh, it speaks to it speaks to the issue of how environmentally friendly are you. And if you're building cars that are electric, that are really great for the environment in the sense if you fill it up with clean energy, that's great. But as that process is happening at your factories, if you happen to have piles of things that happen to catch on fire, that's probably not a good oh, thing. I completely flaked out on the massive Tesla fire that happened in Germany. I think, that, well, it was a big story. I mean, even the locals were like, what is going on? <laughs> well, you know, you've had a problem there because there's been this kind of split camp between, you know, here in the U.S., we talk about Tesla and we think of Tesla often in environmentalist terms, right? Because it yeah. was the environmentalists and the the green tree hugging people that were the original champions of that brand. Hey, man. Hey, man. I, I, I take offense. I love them trees. Hey, trees are, uh, you know, very sexy. Which is ironic because the thing that caught on fire at the Tesla factory in Germany was like a pile of cardboard. <laughs> it was a pile of cardboard. But that speaks to like, you know, I mean, critics have said before, like, you know, at Fremont and other Tesla factories that they just kind of leave piles of trash around, right? Yeah. And But in Germany, this particular plant, they, they originally took a lot of heat for the amount of water that they were going to use. And there was not a real clear understanding of, what that would do downstream to the water supply. As soon as it opened, right, they dumped 15,000 liters of like super toxic paint into the water supply and then they had to shut down again. And then they started running. I didn't, I didn't like, realize it was that much. I remember hearing this story. I realized it was oh, that much. 15, and it was not like a little bit. Yeah. And that's what they were caught spilling. And there were right. some allegations that there was stuff just being dumped in there. Yeah. So there are environmental groups within Germany that are like, we cannot allow this. And this latest fire, this was not only, uh, you know, a problem, like, you know, cause obviously you don't want stuff to be on fire cause it's dangerous and fire bad, but it was, you know, a, a whole bunch of like the chemical treatments and the tapes and the glues that hold all this together just kind of went up in flames. And now you have this kind of ecological event. So it's a question of, you know, if, if these things are being manufactured in this way, um, I, you know, and obviously I, I don't buy into that. I don't buy into that idea that, you know, the manufacturing of EVs is significantly dirtier than the manufacturing of traditional vehicles, right? You just have to be um, responsible with your waste. I mean, the end you they, have to be responsible with your waste. Exactly yeah. right. Well, um, I, I, this, the, I mean, the Fremont factory has, it's been well documented that they've had issues as well in California. And, and this is, I mean, that's not news. So the fact that we're hearing about this in Germany, this is an issue from Tesla's perspective, from a, you know, from a factory side of, how are you going about managing the waste? You know, yeah. and again, there's no free lunch when it comes to energy or product development or production. You know, building cars is hard, you know, and it's it's not something that they can pretend isn't there. And I think they need to be held accountable for, again, issues they've had at Fremont. I mean, there's been people in California that have gone about it. This one in Germany, if, they, if their hand gets slapped hard enough, hopefully that makes some differences about how their practices work at other factories. But yeah, this, I mean... 
what, what is it just a matter of time before we hear about something happening, you know, in Austin at the, at the Gigafactory in Austin. So I, I just think that they are, again, on one hand, give them, give Tesla as a company full credit. What they have accelerated in this industry is, is undeniable. hundred percent. As a corporation, they still have a responsibility to maintain practices that are also environmentally friendly outside of just the vehicle they're building. So do you think, so, you know, we all know Tesla's stated mission is to like, you know, uh, save the earth, basically get people off of fossil fuels. You know, when you read about stories like this, is it a fossil fuel mission? Is it an environmental mission or, or, you know, do you get the sense that at least in some ways, some of that mission is marketing? Uh, well, I mean, frankly, all PR that comes out of companies is marketing <laughs> in some uh, fashion. Yes. You know, yeah. A hundred percent. How much of it is greenwashing? In a derogatory way. Yeah. How much of it is driven by environmentalism as a whole and how much of it is driven by, you know, we don't like oil? Because I, this is a weird thing. I get this on Clean Technic all the time. We Every once in a while, we'll do an article on biofuel or EV mm-hmm. or solar and we will get like – these really rabid ultra, I don't even want to use the word conservative because like fiscal conservatism is a genuine philosophy. These are just like racist people who are posting comments about like, yeah, we got to get the, you know, we, we can't be on oil. We got to get the power away from, you know, the middle East. And yeah. And like, it's driven by that. And it's, it's a very kind of upsetting thing to see, but you, you realize that there is that push from that segment of the population to move away from foreign oil. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not a dig. It's just a question of like, how much of it do you think is environmental? How much of it do you think is anti-oil? How much of it do you think is marketing? I I think, I think it's all in the mix and it's all, it's all there for discussion. I think Tesla's approach and how Elon, you know, has phrased it as their CEO for years now is that they want to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. That's, that's how he's phrased it. Right. Exactly. Right. And I think that within that you, again, I think Elon under his breath would say, and if you want to make an omelet, you got to break a few eggs. You know, I think he's, he's trying to drive innovation, but again, there's no free lunch. There is how you go about transitioning to sustainable energy does not mean it's perfect. You still have to produce product. You still have to produce the energy. How do you store the energy? And then all these things considered, it, the, we, we have a narrative now that happens almost on, I mean, every single day, whether we're talking social media or just general commentary uh, with the public, where everybody's trying to you know, find the purity test around what you've talked about that you're advocating for. And oftentimes, if they can find one hole to poke in it, they will poke that hole and say, oh, see, you're just you're advocating for something that I think you know, whatever my reasoning is, whether it's rational or emotional, I'm going to say no to it. Um, I think having a pragmatic approach to and being genuine around the fact of this is an iterative step into using energy more effectively is what we're talking about. And but then you have people that get very enthusiastic about brands like Tesla and others who even when they see problems, they can't bring themselves to even appreciate saying that's not good. That fire at that factory is not good. How they're managing their waste wasn't good. I mean, go down the list, right? Um, right. So none of, none of these players and corporations are, again, are going to pass the purity test. They all will have to account for what they've done as it relates to environmental practices and how we get to you know more sustainable practices. But in that process and those end products will still have effects in some fashion uh, when it comes to our livable world. Uh, and so I'm, I mean, in that sense, I, you know, I feel like I'm being practical about it, but many people are not. 
you know, they, they just, they have their position on it, whether it's again, logical or, or not. And yeah, that's just going to be part of the conversation for a long time. It's just where discourse has gotten to, unfortunately. In my well, opinion. and I think you, you see the same thing a lot with, you know, extended range hybrids or even plug-in hybrids where, mm-hmm. you know, I think that that kind of purity test, that kind of like, no, BV only is the way to go. Right. I think ultimately that's hurting vehicles like, you know, the BMW i3 is gone, the Chevy Volt is gone, but I feel like that was something that could have been explored better and more yeah. thoroughly yeah. if it didn't receive the kind of venom that it did from the environmental groups who are just, you know, there are many people who just see a car like that and they go, well, that's electrified, not electric, and it's not the same thing. Oh, and yeah. there's there's examples of like, you know, what I would consider just a regular hybrid, like a, the old school Prius. Mm-hmm. like. That's a gas car. Has a battery, but it's a gas car. Yeah. The Prius Prime, the Rav4 Prime, where you plug them in. Now we're talking. Yeah. Now we can have a vehicle that lives ninety percent of its life on electric fuel, gets its primary source of fuel out of the wall socket. We're good to go. Well, um, but to your point, that's that's the that's the conversation that was never had. I mean, you think about the yes. the, the old commercials from you know even when the Chevrolet Volt came out and the guys at the gas station and, and the kid walks up and says. Why are you here? I thought this thing was electric. He goes, oh, it is. Well, then why are you at a gas station? Oh, because it also runs on gas. I don't get it. It was their attempt <laughs> of trying to make light of something, but they did a poor job of explaining the fuel. <laughs> they didn't explain it. They, they just highlighted the people didn't get it. Yeah. And I always thought that I was like, oh, that was such a missed opportunity. But that's, I think, part of it is there. I mean, I've had plug-in hybrid vehicles and the amount of gasoline that my family used to drive for an entire year went down by 90%. Oh, Yeah. That's a huge impact. But then how people understand the difference between I fill up with gas for this reason, I fill up with electricity for that reason, full circle all the time. We come back to electric fuel is as a product is not thought of that way. And that's what I think made it so difficult for people to really attach themselves to plug-in hybrids in that way. So agree a hundred percent. All right. Um, watch this space. We're obviously going to be, by the time this comes out, we'll know, where we're at with Ian and the uh, Miami show, but from everything I can tell, we're full speed ahead and we will see you uh, October 7th, 8th and 9th in Miami. Thanks for listening to the Electrify podcast brought to you by the creators of Electrify Expo. Be sure to catch full video episodes on YouTube at Electrify TV and follow along on social media for daily clips and more.